My name is Al Pino. I have the privilege of being one of the two pastors here. And this is the most important moment of the service. Because this is where the Word of God, where God comes and meets with you. And um, Jesus came to reveal the Father. He is the Word incarnate. And this is the Word that we have as a record. And let's interact with God's Word. Let's hear from God this morning. Isaiah chapter 9. Please turn to verses 6 and 7. We're going to start there. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Let's read. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Will do this. This passage is about Christ's reign over our lives. Notice in verse 6, the government shall be upon his shoulder. Notice in verse 7, of the increase of his government, his kingdom. This passage is about Christ's government, Christ's reign in our lives, bringing his light into our darkness. And where there is light, dear friends, there's joy. So let's pray. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ, your son, this child come for us to anoint, to empower, to give my lips clear speech, compelling speech. Father, even as it were, your words to your people, communicating your burden from this text to your people. Build your church, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, your son, who came to build the church. And may the gates of hell not prevail against it. May the work of God prosper as the people of God gather to hear the word of God preached now, right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Christmas is known for light, or should I say lights. And with light comes joy. Our neighborhood has some pretty amazing Christmas displays. And and every night when I come home late from the office, my heart is cheered. There's a little joy that runs through my heart when I see those beautiful, bright displays. As a family, we love to go see the Christmas lights. In fact, this year, we have planned as one of our family nights, Monday, December the 28th, to pile everybody in the van and take off searching for the best and the freest Christmas-like displays in South Florida. I'll jump up on the internet and I'll try to find out where they are. And We'll go and we'll sing Christmas songs. We'll sing fun songs. We'll sing serious songs. We'll, we'll shake the van back and forth. We'll ooh and ah as we see the lights and we'll end the evening somewhere drinking hot chocolate if it's cold enough and laughing about the evening. So, so why all the joy? Why all the light and the joy in Christmas? 
Here's why, my friend. Because Jesus is the light of the world who's come to shine into our darkness. He's come to bring joy into our gloom. This is what the prophet Isaiah was prophesying about in verses 1 and 2 in Isaiah 9. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. The gloom that he's talking about here is the fact that he's prophesying in about 722 B.C. And God is about to judge the northern ten tribes of Israel. Zebulun, what he talks about, the land of Zebulun. And and the land of Naphtali, the northern tribes, Galilee. He's about to judge them for their rebellion against the rule of God in their lives. And they're going to be taken away into captivity, into exile. The gloom that's on northern Israel right now is the impending invasion of the Assyrians. And there's going to be death and destruction and gloom. But let's read on. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has a light shine. So Isaiah prophesying in 722 uh, BC and darkness and gloom and impending judgment looks down the quarters of time by the Spirit of God and sees Jesus and prophesies of Jesus as the light to come. How can I say that? How in the world can I say that? Well, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. Here's how I can say that. Because God says that. Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 through 17 chronicle the beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth. And notice what Matthew writes, because it's what Jesus spoke. He writes the prophecy of Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. Jesus is going to quote Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 here. Let's read Matthew four fifteen: The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Jesus was from Galilee. He was from Nazareth. He's talking about his own hometown. The people who dwell in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come. Here's the light, folks. The rebellion in your hearts that caused God to judge you some 722 years ago is now going to be dispelled by the light of the one who will bring you salvation so that you would submit to his rule and his reign in your life. Receive the light of God in Jesus Christ. And with that light comes joy. Now, this is about reigning. Christ's reign. This is about repenting. Our repentance for having our own self-rule in rebellion to God. That's what this passage is about. And please hear this clearly. A few of you here this morning, you are seating, you are sitting there in total darkness when it comes to Christ's rule and reign over your life. You may sense the joy of Christmas. You may sense the light of Christmas. But you really don't know or experience the deep joy and the permanent light of Christ's kingdom, his rule in your life. You're doing your own thing. Religiously or otherwise. God's burden for you today is to receive Christ, the one who was born to die for you, 
to pay for your rebellion and then to exercise his benevolent rule over your life. He will bring you light. And that light will produce joy, a joy that is lasting, a light that will never go out. Listen, friends, the Christmas lights in my neighborhood, they're going to be taken down sometime after December 25th. But the light of Christ will never be taken down from my heart. The joy of whatever present you may receive this Christmas will fade. It will break. It will rust. It will be on the trash heap at some point. But the joy of salvation in Christ will never fade. So receive Jesus Christ as the greatest gift in your life this morning. That means receiving his rule, his reign. Now, the majority of us, we do know the light of Christ's salvific, benevolent rule in our lives. We live in the joy of his kingdom. We sing these songs and there's true joy in our hearts. But you know what? Every once in a while, there's a little gloomy place that pops up in our hearts. There's this little dark place in our soul where we rise up and insist on our rule rather than coming under his rule. It's called sin. It's called those stubborn places of of rebellion and sin and disobedience to God and his word. It dims the lights of the glory of Christ in our lives. It robs the joy that he intends for us to have. We have sections of our life where the light of the gospel of Christ does not burn as brightly as it once did. And as a result, we have a lack of joy. Yesterday morning, I entered my garage to work on this sermon, as is my custom. It was very early before the sun came up. So I reached over to flick on the light, only to find that one of the bulbs had burned out. Rather than a bright, cheerful room, I encountered a rather dimly lit, depressing room. It just wasn't vivid. It wasn't inviting. Isn't that sort of a description of our lives at times? What was once bright, well-lit, vivid, is now sort of dingy, gloomy, old, Well, I immediately went over to where Desi keeps the spare bulbs and grabbed this package of bulbs. Here's what it says. Reveal 100 clean, beautiful light. Transform every room in your home from ordinary to extraordinary with Reveal bulbs. Reveal's unique neodymium glass filters out dull yellow rays unlike regular soft white bulbs, leaving you with enhanced, vivid surroundings. Enhanced, vivid surroundings. Friends, we all need to, in some area or another, replace the burnt-out bulbs of our rebellious sin against God with the new vivid Reveal 100 bulbs of His reign in our life to restore light and joy. This is about who is going to govern me, who's going to govern you. Will you rebelliously do your own thing, even with religious clothing on? Looking nice, but living for you. Your light will fade. It's a false, dim, yellow, nasty light. It's no light at all. But if you repent, don't you remember what it said in Matthew 4? 
after he, said, he quotes Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, he says, repent, for the kingdom of God has come. Repent of your own ways, your own righteousness, your self-reliance, and, and receive my kingdom and watch it glow with a light that will never dim. With a light that will never dim. Has the light dimmed in your walk with the Lord? Have the colors become less vivid? Do you lack joy? May I suggest to you that where you lack joy, you lack submission to the government and the reign of Christ. They go hand in hand. Do you have a pattern of discouragement, depression, conflict, lack of joy? A pattern. We all dip into it, okay? We're human. This is a fallen world. But I'm talking a pattern. Do you have a pattern of that in your life? May I suggest to you that God would want to get your attention and say, you're not submitting to my rule there. You're doing your own thing. And receive this message this morning as saying Christ has come to deliver you from your darkness, to shine his light into your life. And with light comes joy. And receive it. You're going to have to repent. It'll be a good repentance. It's like I had to get the, the little step ladder. I had to kind of get up there and unscrew the burnt out bulb and screw in the new one. But boy, when that light came on, it was worth it. Got to replace the old, put on the new. But he gives you the strength to do it. He gives you the strength to do it. That's God's burden in this text. That we would submit to Christ's rule in our lives and experience his light. If you have notes, that's the, the main line there. God shines the light of Christ into our darkness. The very first point. God shines his light and joy into our darkness and gloom. Just as in creation, God spoke light into the unformed darkness of the earth, according to Genesis 1, 1 to 3. So here in Isaiah 9, God speaks light into the unformed darkness of our rebellious hearts through Jesus Christ and his reign. Don't you see that? Look again at Isaiah 9, 2 and 3. Isaiah 9, 2 and 3. The people who walked in darkness, that's us, folks, have seen a great light. That's Christ. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. God has sovereignly shined his light upon us. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. Do you see the word joy there? They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. Again, that idea of rejoicing in joy as they are glad when they divide the spoil. How many times does it mention joy? Joy, rejoicing, glad. Why? Because we submit to the rule of Christ. You will never have joy trying to get it on your own apart from God's will. You will never experience lasting joy. You may have a little fun for a while, but you will regret it rather immediately, right? You know those people? The last thing that uttered out of their mouth? Watch this! Usually doesn't end well. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea. You'll either regret it immediately or on the last day when you come before the Father and He judges you and He says, you did not obey me. You will definitely regret it then. The joy that is spoken of here only comes through submission to Christ's reign. And that's point two. 
That's the main point of this passage. That's the point I want to labor. That's the point I want you to see, that it's Christ's reign over us that is our light and our joy. It's Christ's reign over you, which is your light and your joy. And verses 6 and 7 describe that reign. So let's read those. Let's, let's read the description of Christ's reign over us. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. So that word, the government shall be upon his shoulder, that immediately tells us that what's being spoken of here is the reign of Christ in our lives. The reign of Christ. So please don't miss that. Jesus is not just a nice little holiday gift to bring you cheer. Okay? He's not a bottle of coquille underneath the Christmas tree, all right? Well, that's good. This is better. Jesus is the one who's come to take over. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And how do you define the government of Christ? Here's how you define the government of Christ. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. That's describing his government over you and over me. See, the question is whether we are living under Christ's government and thus experiencing his light and joy. That's the question. That's why identifying a lack of joy in your life will help you identify where you are not under the authority and the government of Christ. I'm talking about a persistent pattern of lack of joy. I'm talking about a persistent pattern of conflict. Please, please hear God speak to you. Please hear God get your attention that where you're lacking joy on a consistent basis, where you have deep depression and deep conflict, there you are not submitting to God's rule and reign. And see, his burden for you is that you would submit to it, that you would experience this light. It only comes through the government of Christ because only Christ defeated the enemies, or may I put it this way, the alien powers in your life. For Christ to bring his government to you, he has to defeat the governments that had been alien powers over you. In other words, he had to liberate you. He had to redeem you. Now, where does it say that, Al? That's another good question. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4 of Isaiah 9. For the yoke of his burden... So verse 3, he just finished talking about joy and gladness. Now verse 4, he's describing the basis upon which the joy and gladness come. Do you see the first word of verse 4? Four. You're going to see that word for, which is a causal word, in verses 4, 5, and 6. You want light? You want joy? Here, here is what produces light and joy in you. For. For what? The yoke of his burden, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. What in the world does that mean? Here's what it means. Your joy and light comes because God has broken the power, the alien power over you that was oppressing you. That was oppressing you. Take a look at verse 4, and please leave verse 4 up there for a while. Look at this. The yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. What do those mean? 
Well, a good Jew would understand what those mean, and perhaps some of you understand what it means. This, this is a biblical illustration that God was giving Israel through Isaiah. What these things represent, yoke of his burden, staff for his shoulder, and rod for his oppressor, it represents the oppression of Egypt over Israel for 400 years. It's shorthand for the fact that I, God, broke the alien power over you and set you free from the Egyptians, which has always been seen in Scripture as symbolic of Satan and the world, to bring you into where my promised land. That's the basis, the four, your light and joy. It's not how many goodies you can, ac- you can accommodate here on this earth. It's not a lack of conflict with the world. You're going to have that. It's not having whatever you want. It's that you've been set free from an alien power to serve God. Now, the one that really makes this thing take off, what, what makes this thing absolutely amazing, what an illustration, is this word Midian. You have broken as on the day of Midian. So he's broken this alien power. He's talking about Egypt in the first part. But here he's talking about Midian. What's Midian all about? That's another good question. Jot down for your study later, Judges 6 and 7. Judges 6 and 7. Midian is describing, is giving Israel a biblical illustration of God's authority coming to redeem God's people from an alien power when God delivered Israel from the oppression of the Midianites. Okay? The Midianites. The Midianites were a people that lived amongst the, the Jews in Israel whom God used to discipline Israel because of Israel's rebellion. So catch this. This is about authority. Whose authority? Who rules in your life? Israel, God's people, have been serving foreign gods, have been serving themselves, have been just doing their own thing. So God sends in this, this foreign power, this, this so to speak, a, a, a occupation force. They're called the Midianites, and they're oppressing God's people. They're enslaving them. They're beating them. They're stealing from them. It's awful. And their people said, oh, God, deliver us. And God sends a deliverer. He sends a guy named Gideon. And this guy, Gideon, has this great army. I think it started at 10,000. So it's probably about even. About 10,000 Midianites, about 10,000 Israelites. God says, that's too many, Gideon. He brings them down, he brings them down, he brings them down. He brings them down, I think, to about 300, between 100 and 300. Yeah, that's right. So we got about 100 to 300 Israelites against 10,000 Midianites. We're going to win. Right, Gideon? (laughs) How are we going to do this again? This is how it happened. God says, okay, 300 men, special forces, airborne rangers. I want you to surround 10,000 Midianites. Do it quietly (laughs) at night. They surround them. What do we take, man? Nuclear weapons, tanks. No, I want you to take a trumpet, a jar, and put candles in the jar. By the way, put them in the jar before you light them so that they don't see you. Light them once they're in the jar and wait. (laughs) A trumpet, clave jars, and candles. That's it? Okay. I'm going to obey you. You're ruling over me. Last time I did my own thing and ruled myself, it didn't turn out so well. But I'm going to obey you, God. And Gideon said, listen, guys, at the appropriate time, when I tell you, I want you to stand 
And I want you to shout the following. For the Lord and for Gideon. And I want you to blow your trumpets. And then I want you to smash and shatter those jars and hold up the lights. We're going to do this about three in the morning. Oh, Lord, I'm going to see you soon. (laughs) So here I come. Not understanding what this is all about. But you know what, friends? They did it. And the light and the trumpets and the shattering so confused the Midianites that they all turned on each other and all 10,000 plus, they killed each other. They killed each other. Is that an illustration or what? What's the point? The point is this. The illustration is this, that the light of Christ's reign in our lives, we are like those clay jars, shatters the bonds of an alien power and sets us free as Israel was set free from the Midianites. We are set free from the bondage of sin, Satan, and the world to serve God. Not to serve ourselves. To serve God. Have you experienced the pure joy, the shout of victory of the light of Christ setting you free? Have you experienced that shout of joy that results when the bonds, those sins that had so had you ensnared in darkness and in gloom, they're shattered by the light of Christ's redemptive work for you? That's the point here. That's the greatest gift that you can receive. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. What does that government look like? Here's what it looks like, and please keep verse 6 up for a while. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What does that mean, Wonderful Counselor? What does it mean to have the government of Christ on my life so that then the light of Christ shatters my enemies and sets me free ongoingly, whether it's Egypt or Midian, it doesn't matter. They're all representative of one thing, Satan, sin, the world, bondage. They're alien powers. You don't belong to them. You're no longer that man, that woman. So what does Christ's government look like? Pay attention. Number one. When we submit to Christ's government, his rule over our lives, he becomes to us the wonderful counselor. Here's a description of living under the benevolent rule of Christ. What does that mean, wonderful counselor? It means this. The one who was intimately acquainted with the counsels of God from all eternity now becomes our counselor and revealing those counsels to us. Welcome to the word of God. Welcome to the Spirit of God whom Christ said He would send after His ascension into heaven who reveals the Word of God to you and to me. Not just to me when I'm studying it, but to you when you're studying it. And to us right now when we're listening to it. What greater gift can that be that we are hearing? You are hearing the counsels of God right now. Go get your friends and bring them here. We must hear the counsels of God. He's the wonderful counselor. Every other counsel leads to destruction and death and gloom and sorrow. And we listen to it like a bunch of dumb sheep. And God in his mercy takes a bunch of dumb sheep marching off to slaughter and says, listen to my counsel. He's the wonderful counselor. Is he your wonderful counselor? Secondly, his rule over us is marked by the fact that to us now, he is the mighty God. Now listen, you must, you must equip And you must uh, um, uh, put together mighty God. I meant to use the word equate. You must equate this term mighty God 
in Isaiah 9, 6, with Emmanuel in Isaiah 7, 14. I don't have time to prove that to you. Study it for yourself, but just listen to Isaiah 7, 14. Just listen to it, Isaiah 7, 14. Four. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? You know this. God with us. God with us. So what does it mean to submit to, to have the rule, the benevolent rule of Christ over us? It means having God with us. Not just any God, but the God, the mighty God who is fully able to do what he's begun in your life. God is able to do that which he has begun in your life. What does that mean? He's able to save you. We sang that this morning. Our God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Corey last week preached this. He's able to protect you from Satan, evil, and the world. We live in a hostile environment. We live in a place that hates God, hates Christ. Jesus taught us that in John 16 and 17. But we have a God, Emmanuel, who is with us, who is mighty and can preserve us. Remember what Jesus said when he taught his disciples to pray? He said, pray this way. Amongst other things, in the Lord's Prayer, he said this, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Remember what Corey preached last week in John 17, 15? Jesus praying to the Father said, Father, they're in the world that is hostile to me, therefore to them, because they are of me. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but what do I ask you to do? Preserve them, keep them from the evil one. To be under Christ's reign is to be in the presence of to have the mighty God indwelling you by his spirit. And he will preserve you. He will change you. Oh, I think this is a word for some of you. To be under his reign means that he's going to give you what you want when it comes to being more like Jesus and changing from your rebellious ways. He's a mighty God. He will deliver you from the evil that, that, that may be haunting you and no one even knows. The sin the lust, the greed, the anger, the unforgiveness. He is mighty to deliver you. I believe that's a word for some of you this morning. Don't, 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 get, don't be discouraged. He's mighty. He's mighty God. He's Emmanuel. God with you. That's what it means to be under his rule and reign. Next, to be under his rule and his reign means that to you, he's the everlasting father. Kind of funny, isn't it? Jesus is the everlasting father? I thought the father was the everlasting father. I thought Jesus was the son. Well, he is. But remember, we have one God, three persons. So what you have here is you have a characterization of the rule and the reign of Christ in your life. Everlasting father speaks to this. If mighty God speaks to power, everlasting father speaks of provision, protection. You see that? His reign over you means that you will be protected. You will be provided for, single mom. You will be provided for and protected from the evil that perhaps is right at your door for some of you, from the evil you see every day. I I heard a story this weekend that broke my heart of a believer 
who lived from nine years old to 12 in foster homes. Parents were not able to care for them. God protected them. God protected them. And God will protect you. His reign over you isn't meant to oppress you like a Midianite and rob from you. It's not meant to be like the Egyptians to beat you so you could build temples and pyramids for them. No, Satan comes and lies to you and says, hey, if you take my reign, I'm gonna, God's going to take... Satan will say, if you accept God's reign, he's going to take from you. He's not going to give you what you want. That's the first temptation. That's what he said to Eve. Hey, God's going to withhold something from you. And like total idiots, we believe it. We fall for it every time. Yeah, you're right, Satan. I'm going to go out on my own, man. Like, how has that worked out for you? Not very well. Because it can't work out for you. Because God's the only one that can protect you and provide for you. He's the everlasting Father. Do you hear some permanence there? He never fails. And finally, what does the rule and reign of Christ mean in your life? What is that rule and reign that produces the light, that brings the light, that produces the joy in your life? It means that God to you, Christ to you, is the Prince of Peace. Oh, dear friends, the peace that he brings is a peace with God. It's a peace with God. Hear me clearly. It is not a peace with the world. Please define peace biblically. Peace is not a lack of war. You will have war. You better have war. Put it this way. Jesus said it this way. If you're in me, you're going to have trouble with the world. Peace with God, trouble with the world. Peace with the world, trouble with God. Which do you want? You cannot have both. You cannot have peace with the world and peace with God. That's what we all want. You know, sadly, you could, I guess, have trouble with the world, trouble with God. And if so, of you, of all people, are most to be pitied, okay? I'm so sorry. I'm not making fun of anybody here. It just occurred to me. That would be a real bummer, you know? Ah, trouble with everybody, man. But here's the hope. Let Jesus submit to his rule in your life, and you'll have peace with God. And you'll have trouble with the world. But he's overcome the world. He's overcome the world. You can trust him. Just jot this down. Evidence that the peace we're speaking of is peace with God. Romans 5.1. I'll just read it to you. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How's that for you? Now, you may not think you need peace with God. You may think, hey, me and God, we're okay, man. We're buds. No, you're not buds. You are an enmity. You're his enemy. By nature, you were born as an enemy of God. He's really serious about dealing with his enemies. But in Christ, when you come under his rule, he becomes to you the prince of peace. He died on the cross to take the enmity, the wrath, the conflict, the bad blood between you and God. He gave his blood to take the bad blood between you and God to give you now the good and the favor. That's what peace means. And yes, it does, I think, translate to peace on earth. This is what happens. When we, when we experience peace with God, 
we start having peace with one another. Not the world, but with one another. There's this great passage, I think it's in Colossians, that we used to be those that were hating and being hated. And he changed us into people now that love and are being loved. Not perfectly, but as Christians, when we have peace with God, we have the ability to have peace with one another, to resolve conflicts. The world sees that, Corey preached last week, sees that unity and says, what's going on here? And we're able to say, because I have peace with God, I can have peace with Corey Smidgen, Miguel Medina, Wally Joyner. I mean, three guys I couldn't think are more different. Puerto Rican guy, California boy, Florida, Tampa redneck, who, play, who plays some mean guitar. Actually, he's not that, but I joke with him about that. How different are we, age-wise, where we came from? How easy to offend and judge and, you know, all that stuff. And we, we all know that SEC football is better than Pac-10 football. It's self-evident. But seriously, seriously, when I, when I look at Corey, I can have peace with this man because I have peace with God. And you know what? The moment there isn't peace, there's conflict here or here or here or with my wife, you know what that's a sign of? The bulb has gone out. And I'm doing my own thing with respect to God. And it shows up in conflict with one another. So if you have conflict, unforgiveness, fear, anxiety, replace that bulb of rebellion with the bulb of submission. And watch your life be increasingly marked by beautiful relationships, peaceful relationships. The world's still going to mess with you. It's going to still hate you. But in the church, there's a measure of peace. And you know what? In your marriages will come peace. In your marriages, even though it's a mess right now, God can save. He can save an unbelieving spouse. He can change hearts that are rebellious so that you can experience perhaps peace for the first time in your marriage with your children. Prince of Peace. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. And look what it says in verse 7. Bringing it home in verse 7. What does it say? Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's a military term. Lord of hosts means supreme allied commander God unleashing all of his weaponry on his enemy. I'm going to do it. We're winning. We win the war. It's the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will finish the work, that will sanctify you, that will bring about the kingdom of God consummated on the final day when Christ returns. It's the zeal of the Lord of hosts. Listen, God zealously is after blessing you, blessing you with the reign of Christ in your life, blessing you with his kingdom, for his glory, and for your good. So question, whose kingdom are you living for? Whose kingdom are you living for? See, Christ says this, I will shoulder, I will shoulder the government, not you. You no longer live for your own kingdom, serve, shouldering your own government, shouldering your own ability to please God, shouldering your own self-righteousness, fill in the blank. I will shoulder it. 
I will reign. I will rule. But you must live for my kingdom, not yours any longer. I'm the new king. You must be dethroned. As I'm enthroned, light will come. Joy will come. So, whose kingdom do you live for? I believe that there's a very specific application to this message. And it is this. Where, one place, are you living for your own kingdom and your own way? Where, one place, are you not submitting to the reign of God in Christ? If you're an unbeliever, you just just focus right there, okay? That one needs to be resolved right now. We're going to pray for you. If you're a believer, where are you experiencing the most conflict, the most lack of joy, the most darkness? God wants to, this morning, bring the reign of his son who is the wonderful counselor, who is the mighty God, who is the everlasting father, who is the prince of peace. Pick one area, dear friend. Because we're going to pray right now. Every head bowed. Moment of holy communion with the father right now. And let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, your son our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, our prince of peace, Jesus, the name above all names. I pray that you would now show us, each one of us, the one area, because we'd be overwhelmed if you showed us all the areas, the one area you want to address this morning right now where we lack the most joy, where where the bulb has gone out. It's maybe been out for a while. We've just grown used to the yellow, dingy, just gloominess. Like a low-grade fever. Maybe it's just a complaining, down countenance. Perhaps in just a certain area. Father, maybe it's just a a low-grade fever of resentment toward our spouse, toward our children, toward our parents. Maybe it's that, that gnawing infection of immorality, impurity, materialism, greed. Oh God, give us the grace. Oh Jesus, come, we submit to your rule. And right now, I just pray, Father, reveal it to us. And with the revealing, reveal Christ. For every one look at this dark area, may you give us 10, 20, 30, 40 looks at the bright, shining light of Christ crucified, Christ buried, Christ raised, Christ ascended. I pray this in Jesus' name.